the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to the Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the Right Reverend Brian Fromm here on AM eleven sixty Hope for Your Life. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show eleven sixty Hope dot com slash the Common Good on the Twitter sphere at Common Good Talk. You can call us. Some of you are surprised that your smartphone can also make phone calls. Three one two six six zero. Right, was. people like the phone. The phone on an iPhone is like a really unused app yes. on a big supercomputer. I heard a comedian. He said, "Calling your iPhone a phone is like calling a Lamborghini Countach a cup holder." You're like, you're like it technically does that. But no one even uses it. I still get surprised every time my phone rings. Like, what's going on? Oh, okay. (laughs) See, mine's. uh, I appreciate that you said surprised. Mine's more angry than that. Mine's more like, why is this person calling me? Just text me. I saw a meme recently. Maybe we've talked about this. It said the best time to call me is text message. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever like ignored a call and then like text them like, hey, what's up? Uh, I have, (laughs) and I've. I also I will not pick up a phone call if I if the number pops up and I don't recognize it. One hundred percent. Okay, it I didn't blows, know if that made me a bad person. No, it blows my mind. If the name doesn't come up, it's not being of answered. Of course not. Yeah. If you're not in my phone, leave a voicemail. And chances are, it's a 50% chance at least <laughs> that if I do know you, yeah. still go into voicemail. Oh, that's for sure. The only person that's not the case for is my wife, not because of well how much said. I love her, but because of how much <laughs> she hates the phone, that if she's calling me, it must be something that I need she to pick up for. She doesn't like the phone, huh? Oh, my gosh. No, she'll text people like me, and I'll just be like, that would have been an easy phone call. And she's like, I'm not interested. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Is it the social component of the phone call? I, I, I don't know. Really? I don't know. But Let's she get will, her on the show, which we haven't done, by the way. We have not. So we got to make will, that happen. She will text at all times uh, before making a phone call. So I can, I don't know that I'm allowed to share this, but here we go. My, wife, <laughs> my wife's the same way, and she says texting gives her like a chance to formulate what okay. she wants her response yep. to be. It's yep. that it's that buffer between having to respond in like a conversation, which you know that kind of makes sense, I guess. Right? That's how your wife is. Yeah, I think so. Oh. I think so. But it's just really funny because if she calls me, I'm like, yeah, I better get that phone. Oh, call. Oh, that makes coming. sense. Because if she's making a phone call, that's already like she's got a she's got a question that needs answering, <laughs> or heaven forbid something happened, or whatever else. Uh, it's like we're sense. picking this phone call up. My favorite has been the uh, voice to text as of late because some of those have gotten wonky as of late. I, I never use that, but Scott, who I work with, he yeah. uses it all the time, and uh-huh. I was like, oh, it's just not part of my repertoire. I, I never use that. Yeah, I have a couple of friends in my life who have used it, and it accidentally will interpret like a swear word or something that's way out of character <laughs> for them. So so then they have to be like, oh, I'm so sorry, that wasn't me. That was the voice to text. The I didn't mean to, to say text. that. That's a very out of character thing for me. But if voice to text, you still have to like edit it and check it. 
Might as well just write the, the text. Right. right. I'm with you 100%. Good. All right. None of that is at all what we were going to talk about. I was going to say the phone number is 312-660-2594. But <laughs> None I, of you will call. I, I won't say that now. Yeah. Not, not after that introduction. Yeah. Uh, all right. So it's uh, it's it's nearing Christmas. It's that season. But it's not Christmas time. I wrote a big, long post about this this morning, actually, about why I think Advent is significant for us to observe uh, leading up to Christmas rather than saying, oh, it's Christmas time. But that's a conversation for another time. So Can I, I ask you really fast about yeah, that? Because sure. I saw your post and it made me wonder. Because that's, huh. A, not the type of church you either were grown up in, you were raised in, or <laughs> that true. you are currently in. That's true. But you seem really drawn to Advent. Is that a, a, a disconnect for you? Or are you able to kind of live in both worlds? Well, I, I actually wanted to ask you that when I read your post hmm. today. That's interesting. I, I'm not trying to say that what you do at your church is bad or good no, or whatever. No, no, no. I just... It's a little bit of a difference. I think I've always been drawn to the church calendar. Yeah. I've always been drawn to liturgy. I've always been drawn to the Book of Common Prayer. I don't know where that comes from, to be honest. Now, my church growing up, while it certainly was squarely in the CMA camp, there was like a... uh, a, a pretty sizable reflection on the church calendar and a lot there? of respect for the liturgy, although it wasn't necessarily like an integral part of our like weekly yeah. rhythm. So right. I don't I don't know. Honestly, to be honest, I mean, my whole mom's side of the family are Roman Catholics. And they have, from as young as I can remember, given me like a real, at the very least, appreciation yeah. and intrigue for the way that they do church. That's so, interesting. I don't really know. My Christian Missionary Alliance church growing up, the, the greatest liturgy we did was just A.B. Simpson. Just... <laughs> <laughs> they never went beyond that. I mean, you could do worse. <laughs> I know. I you love, could do worse than A.B. Simpson. the CMA, but we did not have much liturgy, at least in mine, growing up. So do we have time to get into this? We song? do. We do. Sorry, do I took us off track. <laughs> we got, all right, four minutes to talk about this ChristianityToday.com article. Yep. And it says, nobody's were the first to know. And I was going to say earlier, like leading up to Christmas, I'd like to every once in a while drop in some yep. sort of Christmas theme stuff. So what's uh, what's the general idea here? It's really a, a great article to center you on, on the on the. Uh, Christmas story. It's written by Daniel Darling. Uh, and the general premise is this, and, and we all know this, we've all heard sermons about this, but it's a great reminder uh, that the uh, the first people uh, to know about Jesus or to meet him or to be called to him were complete nobodies, complete outsiders. And right. In fact, I preached on it this past week, oh, you did. starting with Mary and Joseph. Ah, right Mary on. and Joseph are like if you were to make a list of people of expectations you would have for the mom and the dad of the Messiah, right, right, they wouldn't have had any of them from mm. where they live to their age, to their education, to their money. And so he does that same thing here with shepherds and the way we romanticize them and other things. But the overall point basically being this, that, that it really sets the stage for who Jesus is and what he came to do even by looking at the very first people who came in contact with him, whether it be Mary and Joseph, the Mm. shepherds, whoever else it might be. So why do you think so much of this sentiment for a lot of modern Christianity remains simply a sentiment? Like I've heard a lot of sermons about Mary and Joseph are nobodies, the shepherds are nobodies. And yet when you look at the the models and functions, a lot of our modern day churches, it feels like there's a lot of effort still to buddy up next to power, to be an insider, to yeah. be the cool, hip Christian. I realize part of that is just human nature to want to be in. But I, I mean, I love, and I wish we had time to just read the whole thing because it's kind of talking about a kingdom of outsiders, right? Yes. Which we know theoretically, we know that the early church was made up not of like mostly kings and rulers, but of like slaves and peasants. Yes. And if that's at the core of who Jesus was often speaking to, which doesn't mean that he wasn't also addressing wealthy people and rich people and influential people. Yep. But it feels like it, especially in the West, sometimes there's almost a, 
an unavoidable temptation and draw towards if we could just have more people in power, if we could just be mm-hmm. slicker, cooler, more relevant or in. And yet we read stories like this at Christmas time. It almost feels like this cognitive dissonance. Like, yeah. yeah, that was true of Jesus. But our church looks differently now. Like, why do you think why do you think that is? I think because human nature, call it sin, call it whatever, pride, whatever. It's still more fun to be a somebody. <laughs> you think so? I do. It's mm. still we we can read these stories, whether it be about how Jesus came to the nobodies of the world and they were the ones attracted to him or when it's we talk about generosity and contentment. It's still more fun to have money. It's still mm. more fun to be a somebody. It's still more fun to be by the influential people. And so I think these, like you use the phrase cognitive dissonance, there is a there is a dissonance that says, yeah, this is true, but I have a hard time believing it. And yeah. I think we're still drawn to our pride and, and things that seem attractive to us. I get that we're drawn to it. I I honestly don't know that I agree that it's more fun. I mean, I'm even Fun's thinking about word. But I've been thinking about that Rick Warren interview, though, where he was saying, man, fame is not it's mm-hmm. a vapor. It's mm-hmm. not what you think it is. And I get, you know, when you're on the other side of it. It I can still feel it. very attractive, like, yeah, but... Give me a try at I'd it. handle fame differently. Yes, like, You say it. having millions doesn't accomplish anything, but give me a shot at the millions, yes. and I'll let you know afterwards. Like, it does certainly feel like on the other side of it. Yeah, when we're talking in a sermon about these people who they weren't happy with millions of dollars, like you said, and then you're, you you always think that you're sitting yeah. out there going, I'd like to give that a try. And I <laughs> to think decide the same for myself. Thing, right. I was fascinated when Rick Warren said that about celebrity, but I think that a lot of us would go... Give me a try, though. Give yeah. me a try. So I think that's what, what ends up being the struggle in that. Well, at the very least, I feel like this whole article, and it's on our Facebook page. I would encourage you to read it. It's a challenge for any of us who maybe already are insiders yep. to maybe look at people in your own sphere of influence that maybe you've been tempted to categorize as the quote-unquote outsiders. Yeah. Maybe this Christmas, this Advent season, in this season of anticipation and waiting, maybe we look at some of the ways that we draw unhelpful distinctions of inside, outside, yeah. and like learn from Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, the people that God often chooses to address and go to first, often are the people that are, you know, maybe lower down on our priority list. That's always a really convicting reality to me. And I think at the very least this Christmas season, that is something worth uh, wrestling with. Absolutely. Well, coming up next, my buddy is going to be in the studio. Really, really good dude. Scott Hodge, Pastor Scott Hodge, both of the Orchard community. But they recently launched a coffee shop event space in downtown Aurora called Society 57. And the vision for this thing is off the chains. I can't wait for you all to learn about him and his heart and their ministry. And that's all coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the right Reverend Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the World Wide Web, a couple of places, on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter, at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com, slash The Common Good Plus. We're learning that most people listen via the podcast. That's true. A lot of the podcast people are like, wait, you have a radio show? (laughs) Yeah, that's what it is. First, anyway, you can find us on any platform. And if you like, subscribe, and review, that does somehow magically help us out. We have no idea how or why, but it does. Mm -hmm. And uh, we mention often one of of our favorite parts of the show is actually having in-studio guests. And Scott Hodge is no exception. You, my friend, are one of the people that I admire most here in the Chicagoland area. And I think everyone will learn why in a moment. But... For anyone who doesn't know who you are, what you're about, why don't you introduce yourself to our Common Good audience? Well, Ian, thank you. Uh, that's very kind of you. <laughs> that's I, true. It's legitimately, it's a Christian radio station. I'm not allowed to lie. <laughs> I am blushing, blushing right now. He's uh, not. Oh, yeah. So let me tell you about myself. Please I do. am 5'10". I, <laughs> no, I am uh, the lead pastor of a 100-year-old church called the Orchard Community. 
I did not know it was that old. Yep. Doesn't feel a hundred years old, right? Um, we are a very, uh, I guess the word I like to use is, is eclectic community, mm-hmm. uh, made up of all kinds of interesting people, artists, and I like to say thinkers because I like to think we think, and uh, we, I think we think, and dreamers, and innovators, and it. regular ordinary people who are all trying to figure out how to uh, become the people we've been created to be. That's great, man. Yeah. And. Uh, I can get into 5-7, or we can talk about that later. No, do it. Lay it into us. Yeah. Well, why don't I should also mention, um, I have a wonderful family. I have uh, one wife, (laughs) two kids, three kids. (laughs) That's better than the reverse. One wife, three kids, and uh, yeah. Uh, And and I have a dog named Mika, who is a little minpin, and (laughs) it's kind of a love-hate relationship, you know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah, Brian has the same relationship with his dog. I I do. I love my dog, and she hates me. No, I'm just kidding. No, no dogs ever hate anyone, yeah, I know, right? That's true. They don't have the capacity. Not at all. So I'm interested, the orchard uh, community, yeah. you call it an eclectic community. Uh, is it eclectic on purpose? Uh, or did, did God just kind of put a weird group of people at eclectic, not a weird, an eclectic group of people together? <laughs> I'm, cu- I'm curious how intentional uh, that was. You know what? I, I don't know how intentional, really. I think yeah. it's, just, it's just the people who connect with us. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a wide variety of people so young old yeah, you'll have a right. you'll have a young guy sitting there with his uh tattoos and piercing sitting next to uh uh someone who is super conservative and mm-hmm. voted for Trump and doesn't like some of the things I say. Oh, interesting. Uh, <laughs> no, but it's interesting. So we're able yeah. to, I mean, the, there's a lot of differences. And one of the things we try to do is encourage people to not be afraid of differences, but yeah. actually embrace them and and lean into them because you might actually learn something new. Well, that's what's interesting, too. If you uh, follow you guys on Facebook at all, the photos will show that it really is a pretty diverse group of people. Mm -hmm. Often when people say eclectic, what they mostly mean is under 30 with tattoos and some dreadlocks. (laughs) Right, 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 right. So it's not actually eclectic. It's actually pretty narrow. But what you guys have somehow been able to accomplish is like a truly multi-generational, multi-political, even like multi-theological space. And, And it's a question I get as a pastor all the time. Like, how do you actually create something like that? Did you feel like you fell backwards into it? Is it just kind of part of Scott Hodges' DNA? Or like, how do you actually create an environment that I feel like a lot of people hold out as the ideal, but they don't know how to actually get there? Yeah, that's a good question. I I think, you know, there's always, you know, there's always the question of what is it that is going to unite us as a church? Hmm. And for us, it's never been, it's, you know, a a 10 page doctrinal statement or a list of 50 things you must believe in order to be accepted here in our community. Hmm. Uh, For us, it's more about values. And so we have six values that we basically, we, we say, look, you might interpret this passage differently. You might have different beliefs or thoughts on this here, but if you don't jive with these, um, uh, Jive. It's a word I've used like three times in the last two days. I don't know what is happening. I like that anyway, word. Let's bring it back. We've been transported forty years ago. As soon as I say it, I'm imagining my my teenage kids looking at me like, "Dad, seriously, Come on, what does that even mean?" Um, anyway, so where was I? I have horrible ADD, and by now my Same. my meds have completely worn off. So uh, this is the med free episode. Yes. Oh man. So yeah, values. The so values, we, right. we really try to unite around values. And what are those values? Can so, you share them with us? Sure. We have six values. Uh, well, I guess you could say seven because one has two words in it. <laughs> Goodness and beauty, wholeness, grace, story, generosity, and renewal. I love that, man. Can you expand on the one on uh, goodness and beauty? That's the one that jumped out. I was like, oh, that's a, a pretty different one. Yeah. Uh, you know, so one of the things we we believe and embrace is this idea that, be, uh, you know, if you go back to the beginning of the scriptures, there was God's pronouncement of goodness and blessing upon mm-hmm. all creation. Right. 
for whatever reason, we miss that. And we think God's <laughs> starting point was elsewhere. Right. Um, you know, you are bad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, that sets the tone, I think, for us as, as Christians to be people of goodness and beauty, people who mm-hmm. look around in this world and choose to affirm goodness and beauty. Uh, it's very, very easy to be cynical. Yeah, really easy right. to point out what's wrong with this world, right. um, and so we strive to be pe- strive to be pe- 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 to be people. <laughs> uh, we strive to be people who uh, who intentionally look out for goodness and beauty, That's and when good. we see it, we affirm it. And, yeah. and then I think also there's this aspect of being creators of hmm. goodness and beauty, and recognizing that there is this creativity within all of us and. Hmm. Um, we've all been created in the image of the great creator. That's right. And so, uh, you know, it may not all look the same. Obviously, not everyone's an artist per se, or not everyone is skilled as a, uh, uh, you know, professional artist. Uh, right. Uh, but everyone has creative uh, right. spark within them. That's good, man. One of the things that I just read this this last week that the human brain is 15 times more likely to come up with a criticism than a compliment. Mm. In fact, Richard Rohr was talking about how when it comes to things of beauty, our brains are like Teflon, but when it comes to things uh, of ugliness, they're like Velcro. Yes. And how much extra we have to work against the flow of like negativity and criticism and yes. division. And one of the things that I find, so this is kind of the impetus of beauty in the common was the transcendentals of the Catholic church kind mm. of borrowed from Plato and Aristotle, truth, goodness, and beauty, right? Mm. And beauty in particular being the thing that we've sort of, lost touch with right. that you guys do an exceptional job of elevating, right? I feel like truth and goodness, truth is sort of the doctrine piece and mm-hmm. goodness is sort of the ethics piece, but beauty, I don't hear a lot of churches actually putting that in their value statement. Value statements tend to be a lot more about like growth or yeah. numbers right. or strategy. What about beauty do you think stood out to you that made it to this value level of a church organization? And what is that? what are the practical implications of a church that values that? Yeah, you know, I read something recently about, and I forgot the guy's name, but there's this uh, uh, Swedish theologian, I think he's Swedish, and he, he talks about the theology of aesthetics. Is it Balthazar? Mm. Yes, it is. Yeah, is he Swedish? Uh, he's something. He's something. <laughs> he's Dutch of some kind. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. He's from over there. <laughs> um, Not here. Right. But he talks about this theology of aesthetics, and, and I read that uh, quite a while ago, and it really hit me, and... You know, I think we, I believe the church is at its best when we are on the front end of contributing mm. to culture. I think, so I think good, it's, yes. it's, you know, the church has reacted all sorts of different ways towards culture, yep. often condemning it or mm-hmm. copying it or right. critiquing it or whatever. Um, but I think the church is at its best when we are on the forefront of actually contributing towards it. And so uh, one of the ways I think we do that is by creating beautiful, for us anyway, creating beautiful experiences, mm-hmm. um, creating places where people can uh, walk in and go, wow, this is this uh, does something good on the inside of me. Right. You know, and, and I think I, I heard someone talk about recently how when you see something beautiful, it causes you to wonder. Uh-huh. Huh. Who is behind this? That's and it great. takes you out of yourself, which is the opposite of sin. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And it points you in the direction of uh, whoever or whatever is behind the existence of what is beautiful. That's Gosh, great. that's good. I'm so glad you're sticking around for not one, but two, two more segments, right. which is a perfect segue because you just launched a business in downtown yes. Aurora, an organization that is in conjunction with all of this. And I cannot wait to ask you questions about it. That's all coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the internets. Just type our names, and you'll 
figure it out. I believe in you. Uh, but we have in the studio Scott Hodge, who is both a pastor, an entrepreneur, a great grower of beards, a lover of suit jackets <laughs> during the work week, all, all sorts of things that I... That's a good compliment. Really one with a beard. That's wow. Well, there you is, go. Mine you. doesn't look like a beard compared to his. Mine looks like a prepubescent boy's attempt <laughs> at growing a beard, and his looks like how a man actually grows a beard. Well, I think this you. might be the, my favorite way you've ever introduced a guest right here. Uh, I, I am once again blushing. Part of that. <laughs> I clearly have some stuff I got to work out. But uh, anyway, if you're just joining us, I can't encourage you enough to go back and listen to the podcast because Scott's way of I think understanding culture in the world and the church's role in all of that is. So refreshing and so remarkably different. But one of the things that I'm most excited about is this newest venture, Society 57. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is, where that came from, and where you guys are at with all of it now? Sure, absolutely. That's a lot, by the way. I'm Maybe I'll yeah. give you sort of the backstory, yeah, and then I'll talk that. about what it is now. Yes. So, um, you know, several years ago, I... Um, it's funny. There were two places I swore I would never live. Aurora, <laughs> Illinois was one of them. Because I grew up I grew up in Aurora. Right. Oh, and God. the other one was uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Ended up going to both places. And so now I like to say I will never go to Hawaii. <laughs> right. yeah, Just, to never, Just to see if it works. So I'll we'll never see. drive a Lamborghini. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, ended up coming to Aurora, though, to uh, actually help my dad at his church. Um, he had pastored the church for 25 years. Mm-hmm. The church was struggling. Uh, he asked me to come. I said, all right, I'll come for a year. I think I said six months at first, and mm-hmm. I do not want to be a pastor. I will. I don't want to visit people in the hospital. I don't want to preach or any of that. I, I want to be a consultant, so I'll work from Starbucks, and that lasted for about a week. And wow. we dove deep into the world of change and transition, and mm-hmm. which you know people love. Yeah. And uh, whew, that's a whole other that's a whole other show, right? Um, but anyway, we started making a lot of changes, and about two and a half years into it, my dad very suddenly passed away. He was sixty mm-hmm. years old, and. Wow. Um, I ended up becoming the next pastor again. Something, another thing I swore I would never do. Right, and um, that was uh, back in 2005. And uh, it's interesting because after he passed away, the church. It's like the church really started booming. It started growing rapidly. I mean, oh, we were, after he passed, it was it was right after he passed. It was like oh, all no the kidding. work we had done kind of kicked in. Wow, um, you know, which was a whole. Yeah, you know that was hard. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, right. Know, he misses out on all this that fruit, we've yeah. you know put into this. Hmm. But uh, the church started taking off, and it was literally you know running two hundred people. Then all of a sudden, it would jump up to four hundred and seven hundred and nine hundred and a thousand. And wow. the bigger the church got, the more miserable I was. Hmm. Interesting. And looking back now, I think what I understand is that the larger the church was becoming, the less I was able to truly bring myself oh, into right. into the the church hmm. and. So, uh, over a few years, my heart started getting really drawn to downtown Aurora. Um, and one of the ways I started articulating it was what would it look like to not only be a church in Aurora or, or a church that's for Aurora, but what would it look like to actually be a church that helps make Aurora what it is? That's great, man. You know, how do we get on the front end of what's happening culturally and actually become contributors like we were talking about earlier. And so, um, and so, you know, we started getting this vision for starting something different, but mm. we were we were stuck. We had this huge campus, 16 mm. acres of land, 35,000 square foot building. Wow. And, you know, there's not a huge market for churches. Right, uh, right. <laughs> and one day out of the blue, we got a phone call from a local mega church that 
uh, asked, hey, would, are you guys by chance interested in selling your building? Wow. And it was one of those moments that, you know, you, you know, there's things that happen in your life where you feel like, okay, yeah, God, God helped with this, and but I was quite involved. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And, and then there are those other moments where you're just like, this is so far beyond me. Right. And that was certainly the case for us. And one thing led to another. We ended up selling our campus. Wow. And so we really had now this opportunity to start something new, something different. Right. And so we said, what do we want to do? Well, we didn't want to build another church building mm-hmm. because, you know, we had this huge campus that was used two days a week, essentially. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so we said, what if we do something totally different and create a space um, that is open seven days a week that is being utilized in many different ways? And we started looking at what are some of the needs in our community hmm. and what are we good at? Hmm. Uh, we weren't interested in trying to do a bunch of things that's already being done or that we're not passionate about. Right. And so we started looking at uh, at what the needs are. And we said, you know, we're really good at We understand hospitality. We Mm -hmm. know how to create great environments. Let's create uh, what's called a social space. Mm -hmm. And let's let's create a space that is used for several different things throughout the week. Um, And so we decided to start a place called Society 57. I found an awesome building, uh, downtown Aurora, about a 100-year-old building. And uh, we, uh, you know, when we we started to talk about, okay, what do we want to call this? (laughs) And uh, we wanted a name that was... Locally rooted, historical, right, and that was intriguing. That kind of made people go, "Huh, yeah, well, what's going on over there?" Yeah. So, in eighteen fifty-seven, little history here: uh, the villages of East Aurora and West Aurora merged and formed what's known today as the city of Aurora. Hmm. And so, we we said, "Yeah, we like that." Fifty-seven, and then yeah. this word "society," you know, hmm. uh, and that's how we came up with Society Fifty Seven. And so, that. our our dream is to create a place that brings out the best in everyone. That's awesome. And uh, there are a lot of voices out there and a lot of, uh, you know, influences out there that do just the opposite of that, mm-hmm. that, that pull people apart and that uh, don't necessarily bring out the best. Yeah. So let's be a place yeah. that's very intentional about bringing the best out of every person who walks through our doors. That's fantastic. I'm fascinated by the fact that, you know. 99% of the pastors out there are trying to go from the small church to the mega church campus, right? Like that's the trajectory. Right. right. You went the other direction. I'm wondering, A, did most people go with you from your church or did your whole church change in that move? And B, uh, was it freeing for you? You said before you felt kind of stuck yes. and this, did, did it do, was it freeing for you? That's hmm. a great question. Uh, we're smaller now than we have been in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving your church from a suburban location to right down in an urban neighborhood. Right. Uh, is not the best church growth strategy. <laughs> you're not gonna you're not gonna get that at a conference, right? right? Yeah. Uh, but actually, depending on how you look at it, our influence has expanded exponentially yeah. in, right. in just in just a short amount of time. Right, it's incredible. Um, and, and in answer to your question, uh, you know, in terms of, of bringing myself to the table, yeah. absolutely, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. I feel like I am. Uh, and I feel like I've just barely tapped into it. But, right. But it's, yeah, I feel more alive. I feel awesome. more energized than I've ever felt in, in my life. It honestly seems that way. And I don't, I don't know you all that well, but yeah. honestly, well, my wife has been a part of a couple of markets in Aurora. So yeah. we found ourselves conveniently in Aurora a lot more. And yeah. every time she's like, can we please go to Society 57? Yay. That's honest to God truth. So I, I feel awesome. like I've been able to see you more in the last two months than I have in a while. But people maybe yeah. don't realize it's not just a coffee shop. It's a whole right. bunch of other things. Talk to me about just the expansiveness of what it is you're hoping to accomplish through Society 57. Yeah. So we've got a, our building is a 20,000 square foot building. Uh, right now we are doing it in phases. So our first phase is the specialty coffee house, which we put a lot of thought, a lot of intention into. It's awesome, by the way. Um, 
Thank you. Mm-hmm. And then we have an event space. So we've got people renting our space for events, weddings, quinceaneras, birthday parties, mm-hmm. uh, fundraisers, all kinds of interesting things. Um, and then our church gathers there on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've got rooms that are part of the coffee house that our kids use on Sundays as well. And everything's very flexible so we can move everything around mm-hmm. as we need to. Um, and then our next phase will be to move our event space to our second level, which is astounding. It's enormous. I, Ooh, yeah, that was yeah. up there. Yeah. yeah, absolutely beautiful. I moved in, actually. You don't is that right? <laughs> yeah, you don't know that yet, but I'm there. Is yeah. that what that smell was? <laughs> Accurate. 100%. <laughs> so, yeah, so our, our, our goal will be to move our event space upstairs. And then um, that was funny, actually, the more I think about it. Why do you say actually? Like, oh, way to go, Simpkins. Once in your life. Yes. Uh, but, you know, so, so one of the things, though, that really excites us is the idea of, of curating uh, conversations. Yeah. We want to do pop-up dinners, bring chefs mm. in. We want to incubate restaurants. We want to, uh, we're going to put in a, a commercial kitchen that is uh, enclosed in glass and people can see what's happening there. And we That's utilize so that awesome. for caterers and small scale yeah. food producers, et cetera, et cetera. So. Okay. So I have, again, like 15 more questions now. We'll yeah. get to maybe two of them, but All that right. is Scott Hodge, both the pastor of the orchard community, but also the, what do we call you? Founder? Uh, CEO? Lead, cur- lead curator. How's that? I'm going to call you like president or something. Oh, do, do stop. It, something Dweeby, like COO of Society 57 in downtown Aurora. All sorts of questions with Scott coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. I, I always forget, is that a forward slash? Backslash? Try both. It's a both slash. It's a, an amba slash, as they say in the biz. No one says that. Anyway, so we have in the studio, my friend. Do people refer to you as Pastor Scott by chance? You know, someone today did, and I said, just call me Scott. Yeah. <laughs> we had a lady at my uh, my previous church that always insisted on calling me Padre. She would oh, call me Padre, and then she would bow. And I was like, you, we oh. don't have to do... Keep the, keep the bow, <laughs> lose the Padre. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, oh, great sermon, Padre. And I'm like, we don't have to do any of that. Anyway, so Scott, Scott is super interesting because you're not only a pastor, but you're also... What do we say? Lead curator? There's all kinds of names I could call. <laughs> lead curator. Sure, that works. Do I need like our hand on the bleep button? Is that like a... Uh, maybe. Okay. <laughs> I, told, I warned you about that. You have. That's true. That's an actual conversation. There's a paper trail. So Society 57 currently is this multi-purpose space in the yep. heart of downtown Aurora. Before right I on forget, the Fox River, by the way. Right on the Fox River, right Beautiful. between the east and west, yep. which is part of why the 57 is so you significant, right? That's right. Where do people go, by the way, before I forget, to learn yep. more? Yeah, society 57com Com. You guys got the dot com. We got the dot com. Shoot, you guys are ballers. We actually bought the dot org and the, all the other dots. I think <laughs> oh, we have all the of dots. <laughs> you own the dot org? I think so. Man, I'm so proud of you. Yeah, you go. Thank you. Okay, yeah. so people, and you made an interesting point, Brian, because it does feel like 99% of people, particularly pastors, goal is keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, bigger yep. and bigger campuses, more and more property, and you kind of went a very different route. I think part of what I appreciate is... You mentioned this in the first segment. You're like, I never really wanted to be a pastor. You sort of fell backwards mm-hmm. into this a little bit. And so now you have this multi-purpose beginning of a dream. You guys just launched like a month Grand ago. Grand opening three weeks ago, three and a half weeks yeah, ago. Right. Yeah, right. That's crazy. Yeah. So so you have this coffee shop. That's tremendous. Yeah. You have this event space that I've been in. You have all these expansive dreams for what it could be. There's a word we have for that, particularly in like Christian theology, is missiology. What is the mm. missiology of this entity. Could you speak to that a little bit more with regards to the church and Society 57? I think so. I, you know, so 
I think one of the things we knew was that if we were truly going to be a part of what makes our city what it is, we had to get to the city. Mm, you know? Right. And, you know, if you think about it, <laughs> it's, it's ironic to me. You know, Jesus said uh, we should go into the world. What we've largely done is we've built churches that function more like fortresses mm. and expected people to come to us. Right. Yeah. Come to the event. And that's the right. Thing. And, yeah. and that's what it felt like to us. And, and it's like the exact opposite, I think, of what we see in Jesus. And, <laughs> you know, and what a great time of year to talk about this, because if you think about it, when it came time for God to give us a picture of who God is is yeah what did god do you know god didn't say hey look out here and see if you can find me right right and god sent emmanuel moved into the neighborhood which i love that that uh-huh. phrase you From know the message right that's, yeah. that's right and so um so anyway i i think like one of the things one of the analogies we've used is water wells mm-hmm. you know if you if you think about you know even jesus i mean this rabbi this teacher he didn't just hang out at the synagogue and sit around and wait till people came to him yeah. he was constantly going out to places where people were at hmm. uh, like water wells for example That's great. you know and and i love that story of, of the samaritan woman at the well and uh you know these water wells were very important places mm. and uh and so in some ways i think i mean it, it's like they became these social gathering spaces yeah. in some regard and you know women encountered each other and drew, drew water and shared their lives together and so anyway one of the things we said is what if you know what if rather than being a a christian country club so to speak mm-hmm. that serves our internal faith community well for a few hours, one or two days a week, we could instead go into the heart of our city and create a modern day well, so to speak. I love that. Um, but I will say this too, because I think it's important. We we are not, um, how do I say it? Our goal is not, let's get people in our doors so that then we can tell them, well, really, we're a church right. and we're going <laughs> right. to get you into our church service. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. like it, there is no agenda with that because, mm. and, I, and I think this is a huge and important thing to, to talk about. Um, we love to create this huge distinction between what we label as sacred and what we label as secular. That's right. And I think what we are we are trying to do is say no, no, no. There, there's no distinction. Right. Uh, the barista who is coming to life, doing what they do, mm-hmm. and is finding joy and fulfillment. There's something so beautiful and sacred about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people who come in and have an event and create memories that will last a lifetime. And we've done our part uh, of helping to create that experience. There's something so good and beautiful about that That's right. and so you know we tr- we are trusting that in every interaction every encounter uh god is at work the spirit is moving and it does not have to only be if someone's yeah. comes to church on a sunday morning uh-huh. you know sitting in the chair yeah. that's great man how about the person who's out there listening there might be a pastor or a church leader just a church congregate and what you're talking about is kind of stirring something in them they're mm-hmm. like man I, I really resonate with this but I'm not going to sell my builder or whatever else it might be. What's a word of advice you could give to them? Maybe a resource to read or just something to think about? How, what's the next step for somebody wrestling like that? That's good. Oh, that's a great question because I don't think I have an answer for that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You you know, ah, geez, I think that, that, that there are new ways we have to think about these things. I, I think that the days of let's build a gigantic campus and let's just keep growing and growing and growing and, adding staff and adding i mean i I think it's done well by a lot of people um but it's just not sustainable Mm -hmm. and uh you know for us it was like there's so much we wanted to do but we couldn't because we had a gigantic mortgage payment yeah right right. we had a staff a huge staff we had to pay and all these things so we're we're trying to create something more sustainable Hmm. um we did this as a completely separate entity from the church 
Uh, we have a non-faith-based nonprofit that owns and runs the building. Oh, interesting. Um, but one of the things we want to do and, and hope to see happen, which we believe it will, is this will help alleviate some of that financial weight from the church and mm-hmm. enable us to be more generous when it comes to mini- actual ministry. I mean, imagine that. Right. Being able to put money into ministry. <laughs> and, That's right. And, or expand it and reach more, more kids and students and those kinds of things. Um, I will say the hardest thing for me in this whole process, this is going to sound, might sound crazy, um, was I was sitting down and writing the words, what if? Mm. And I get emotional thinking about it because when you walk around our space, it's beautiful and all that, but it all started with this real simple question of what if we could create something different, mm. something unique. And, and sometimes that's the hardest thing in the world to do is Absolutely. just to sit down and write. I mean, I remember my hand was shaking. Wow. And I, I, I've heard this idea before that, that our fear often points us in the direction we most need to go. Oh, man. And, and I think for me, that was most definitely the case. And so I, I would say if you're feeling great fear about something, pay attention to it because mm. it might be pointing you where you most need to go. Man, that's really good. All right. So we have like a minute and a half left. I have like four or five questions I still want to ask <laughs> you. Rapid fire. So, rapid fire. Here's kind of what I want to ask. Uh, to be honest, I would love to just know how, how can we be praying for you guys? For people that are listening and they're thinking, I've never heard of anything like this. Or people that are listening like, yep, I know Scott. I'm part of the church. I love what it's doing. Or anyone in between. How can anyone, whether they're listening live on the podcast, pray for you guys, support you guys, mm-hmm. come alongside you guys? How would you speak to that? Yeah, thank you. I would say... The best thing you, anyone could ever do for us is to pray for two things. Pray that we would that our ears would be opened mm. and, and that we would hear God's voice every day. That's right. And then secondly, that we would have the courage to say yes. Mm. Because sometimes, you know, we can hear, uh, but sometimes we, we're afraid yeah. to say yes. That's yeah. Good. No kidding. We, and part of what I appreciate about that, by the way, is that you are the leader yep. admitting feeling some of those mm. things. Because Brian and I are pastors and we feel that. But sometimes there's this pressure to, like, not let them see us sweat. Right. 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 I'm, I'm on your website right now. I would encourage people to go to society57.com because it's really cool. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Because yes. as you've been talking, I've been trying to picture what it probably looks like. So I was like, mm. wait, let me just click on the website. Yeah, we're on well face, Facebook, too. You can search, search us out on Facebook as well. And you and, guys got uh, events and stuff coming yeah, up and all that. Anything yeah. you want to point people to specifically yeah, if coming you, up? If you needed a beautiful event space for a wedding or, uh, you know, a... Uh, party or whatever it is check yep. us out uh we want to fill our space with a lot of very cool things i love that man yeah. dude thank you for taking the time and coming to the studio uh, and sharing your heart please come back sometime we'll do you thank admitted you. it it's on the air now right, so it's, that's legally binding oh, this is fun that's I outstanding <laughs> <laughs> well that third voice is scott hodge of society 57 you heard brian say it i can't encourage you enough go to society that's the word society and then yep. the number 57.com learn more get in contact ask some questions buy him some coffee as long as it's good coffee and uh <laughs> yeah, buy from the cafe why not yeah, we have a coffee house <laughs> <laughs> he's like i know where there's good coffee perfect access <laughs> thanks so much for joining us man thank this you. has been the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Hey everyone, Ian Simpkins here, and after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference, I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did, and so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously, and the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that I didn't really know how to talk about. And so 
they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrivent and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. Thanks for coming back. I was not expecting that. It's cheery. <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's, is it cheery? Yeah. It's more like um, joyfully surprised. <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever have that moment, like yeah. on a Sunday morning, you're like, oh, uh, you guys came back. That's what we're doing here. Way to go. I thought last week was just bad enough for you to never come back again, but you returned. So either way. Creatures of habit, and we thank I mean, you for that's that. That's true. Both excited and grateful. You can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, or wherever it is you get podcasts. Uh, a little tiny, itsy-bitsy, like, subscribe, review. All of that really helps us. And if you hit that share button, uh, we're still a new show, so any of that is really helpful. You can yell at Alexa or Google and say, hey, play AM 1160. I think that works. I haven't tested any of this. I don't know why I keep saying it like it's verified, but I have, I have no idea. So uh, I actually saw when this story broke a couple days ago, I saw. Are you OK over there? I just punched you my just, microphone for no reason. Did you? I might have gotten injured. We've been doing this almost a year now. And I punch it like it's, twice it's, a week accidentally. It's a big, shiny sign yeah. on it and everything. Oh. Anywho, I, it, <laughs> was really really, it, was really, it was really strange. I saw. Honest to God, like 10 or 11 people post this Mm -hmm. within like a half hour. So here's the headlines from the Washington Post. I feel so distant from God. Popular D.C. area pastor confesses he's tired and announces a sabbatical. As we were kind of combing through this, you were like, oh, my goodness, there's so many good lines, so many good quotes in this. I'm just going to let you kind of highlight the story first, and then we'll we'll get into it. So his name is Reverend uh, Howard John Wesley. He has been the pastor of the historic Alfred Street Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia, for the past 11 years, leading four services every weekend, averaging 4,500 in attendance and 50,000 viewers online. Uh, so this is where the Obamas would go sometimes for Easter when right. they, when he was president. Right. Uh, so a big deal. And he got up before his congregation. He said, after 30 years of preaching more than 5,000 sermons, he said this, I am tired in my soul. Mm. And I'm just going to read. I underlined a bunch of things that he said because I want you to just react to them because okay. – there is something unique. And remember, this is in the Washington Post. This wasn't. This is a, this is a major story, especially yeah, right. in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just some things that I think are unique to us as pastors that we all feel. But I also think there's a lot of people out there feeling this. And it, this guy, more power to him. He didn't quit. He said, "I'm taking a sabbatical from right. January one until Easter, which is April 12th." He said he's been on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and so he's going on sabbatical. Let me read you some of these quotes. He first said. There's a weight a pastor bears in their soul and their emotions that is inescapable. There's not been a day in the past 11 years I've not woken up and knew that there's something I had to do for the church. I had to be available for a call. Hmm. I had to help walk people through their great moments of celebration and through their valley uh, of the of death. 
He said, I wrestle with God and it leaves me tired. How many Sundays of four worship services do I have? He said, it leaves me tired. You ready for this? And a nap ain't going to fix it. Hmm. He said uh, this whole nap thing. And then it goes on to talk about Jared Wilson and Rick Warren and this kind of all the conversation going on around mental health. Uh, He then goes on to say, I feel so distant from God. How many pastors feel, or let alone uh, pastors, even just lay people, feel the ability to say, I feel so distant from God. One of the greatest mistakes of pastoring is to think that because you work for God, you're close to God. Man, he then goes on to say, I want to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation without trying to write a sermon. I want to travel and go sit in the back of somebody's church and hear the word of God and not be worried about what time we have to get out for the next crowd. And the last one I want to read when he says this, or two more, he says, when I started, I was working seven days a week. I remember of the church at the time, an older uh, lady said, why do you work every day? I said, the devil doesn't take a day off. And she said, why is the devil your role model? Jesus models that we need rest. Oh, who's that woman? Man, and the last one, and there's so many good things in here. I encourage you to read the whole article. But at the end, he says, there is a real addiction of the approval that comes from being a pastor. I don't think one person is capable of fulfilling all these roles people Mm. have in their heads for them. I mean, when I read this, especially you and I have talked about just the role of being a pastor, but also kind of both of us have kind of admitted to having some people pleasing in us. There was so much that I read that he said this weariness and, and kind of the expectation uh, that, that I really resonated with. And quite frankly, good for him. He sounds like he's at the end of his rope. Well, and it sounds like he's doing the right thing though. Exactly. Right? It sounds like if he didn't take a sabbatical, he was going to do something like not necessarily sinful, but he he was either going to end up having to leave his job, right, or he had to do this to save his That's job. That's wisdom, for and sure. I, I, I applaud him because man, to be able to get up in front of your people and say I'm tired in my soul and I feel distant from God. Like our churches need that sort of vulnerability, and our and our pastors need to be honest. The way this guy is, it sounds like finally being honest after so many years of running so hard. Well, it includes this quote from uh, it says a Duke University study in 2007 found that. of seminary graduates leave ministry within five years and only one in 10 retire as a pastor, which you could draw all sorts of other conclusions. And we know the vast majority of people listening right now aren't pastors, but many of you know pastors, you're a part of churches. Uh, I think this is worth talking about. And his modeling this, I imagine, is going to send a shockwave. Unbelievable. Yeah. Because how many people listening are thinking... Wait, I've been working seven days a week for way too long. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm at the end of the rope. And they, they're looking to him for some kind of leadership, some kind of wisdom. I definitely can relate to some of it. Mm-hmm. But I can also say, I was just having a conversation earlier today. A friend of mine who's really, really, really held me accountable to rhythms of Sabbath, mm-hmm. of rest, that Dallas Willard quote, the, yep. the ruthless elimination of hurry. Yep. I, I'm often very, very bad at that. Mm-hmm. But the people, by the grace of God, who have... Entered into my life who, you know, had a mentor that once said, find people who love you that aren't cowards. Mm. They need, it needs to have both, right? That will tell you you have spinach in your teeth to say, yeah. hey, I know that you think that you need to be on all the time. You're not doing anyone any yeah. favors by yeah. constantly being depleted. Because that's honestly some of it, right? Some of the taking a step back feels selfish. Yeah. And a lot of us got into ministry to serve people. So yep. taking time for yourself can feel, I don't know self-serving maybe is that the right yeah. way to say it i think yeah. that's sometimes why we get caught in these patterns of just over exhaustion and saying yes to everybody Agreed. and i think him him making a decision like this and being this honest i really do encourage you to read the whole article because absolutely there's a lot of ways and i can definitely relate even to the i want to read the bible 
without thinking about how this yes. could apply to a sermon. It's yes. hard to turn that off, you know? Yeah, and and some of you might be out there being like, I work hard and I'm not a pastor. Well, you, this article is also pertains to you. It's right, 100%. Rest, the, the biblical call to rest is not just to clergy. Right, and it's not right. just to pastors. It's to everybody for your own well-being and the... the, the um, uh, for the sake of your soul. And so I would encourage if you're like, I work hard, I work seven days a week. That's a problem. Yeah. And right. I'd encourage you to read this and be challenged as well. And the goal isn't to not work hard. No. I think it is to work very hard yes. and also be really intentional about Sabbath 100%. rhythms and rest and margin and sometimes just stepping back, which is, again, way easier said than done. Absolutely. Well, coming up next, a uh, a very exciting in-studio guest, my friend Jason Benson, the founder of Love Moves Us, coming alongside and caring for families uh, who are adopting and fostering and all sorts of other things that I think the world just needs more of. Mm. Cannot wait for that conversation. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on the Facebooks at Common Good. No, what is it? The Common the Good, Common Radio, Good show. Radio Show. Man, right oh, man. There. Yeah. It's, it's, no, the Facebook's not up there. It's everything. Oh, yeah, there it is. I just can't see that far. That is true. It's true. We were just talking about this. I, I have to, the sight of a 150-year-old. I have those moments all the time. I, I even have good eyesight, and we'll like, come back, and I'm like, wait, is that our Twitter? Is that Facebook? Well, I don't even know people. Welcome to the Common Ground. It's me and my friend Brad just hanging out. Anyway, I don't want to waste any more time on that haberdashery. Oh, we have funny. in the studio my friend Jason, who uh, I've known for how long now, Jason? Hmm. I don't know how it's been a few years. It has been. I don't need to put you on the spot. At least five for sure. Probably. But and I've known him for like five minutes. Ooh, so we're good. You're already there we go. besties. <laughs> already best. Okay, there so what we've been doing with guests rather than me to sort of like read a bio, uh, we've been asking guests to introduce themselves to the audience. So you can be as personal or professional as you want. Who are you? What do you do? What makes you tick? And any nope. other information no you think would be helpful? Yeah, no, pressure, no, right? no, no kidding. Radio a, debut. I feel the need to perform right now. <laughs> Give you some some uh, some nuggets. Yeah, please you know? be as but, holy as possible. Yeah. Uh, well, I I grew up in Aurora, uh, not too far from here. Went to Aurora Christian High School. Met my wife in college at Judson mm-hmm. University in Elgin. Go and, Eagles! Uh, yeah, <laughs> go Eagles! Uh, got my degree in youth ministry and adolescent studies, and uh, from there. Um, both my wife and I really had a love for children, went into ministry, worked for Youth for Christ, helped plant churches, hmm. um, led children's and youth ministries, and uh, began the adoption process. And that's where God just really birthed this fire in me and, and my wife hmm. to help people on this road to adoption. Hmm. And uh, God just led us to starting this organization uh, to help bridge the gap between church, churches and and families who foster and adopt vulnerable children. Wow. Uh, and in 2016, we launched uh, the organization called Love Moves Us uh, to provide community encouragement and support to families who foster and adopt and engage churches uh, and, and the community in meeting the needs yeah. of, of those families. I love that, man. That's, That's awesome. so good. Uh, as someone who's adopted, tell us what it was like. Uh, what in that experience caused you to go, you know what? We need to do a better job as churches. We need a ministry like that. I'm curious how your personal uh, history kind of played into that. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because it's been a long journey. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't necessarily a, a, a thing right at first because uh, my mm. wife and I, um, we weren't able to, to conceive our own mm. you know, biological child. And so for us, we'd always wanted to adopt. Hmm. And so that was the, the avenue right away we, we knew we oh, wanted to go. And so we adopted domestically an infant. Um, and 
you know, like kind of hindsight being 2020, like you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Right. And, and so we're going into this and, and even though, you know, you have agencies trying to tell you and prepare you for things, there's, there's an element about us that, that <laughs> sometimes we're not ready to receive yeah. things and, and not ready to learn things uh, until we think there's a, a need for that. Yeah. And um, so we thought, you know, hey, we're, we're adopting this child. They're going to grow up in our home and be just a normal child mm. like everybody else. Right. And, you know, um, but uh, interestingly enough that we had that attitude because our our son is African-American. Yeah. Uh, we are not. And right. so um, that creates an instant dynamic right there that, uh, you know, your child knows right away that, you know, from a young age that they're adopted. Yeah. And how do you enter into that with age appropriate conversations and oh, things and, and stuff? And so um, really what we what led us to this and, and, and we began to really get to your question uh, what we began to see is we met more and more families who were doing foster care, who mm. had adopted internationally, adopted mm. older kids. Uh, we saw families really beginning to struggle with things that they never anticipated they were going to be struggling with. Mm. They, weren't, they just weren't prepared for it. Um, kids who have, who have been neglected, who have experienced abuse, yeah. um, growing up in orphanages where uh, similar things happen. A lot of times you know, people think that, oh, I'm going to adopt a kid overseas because that's better for some reason or another, you know, hmm. um, there's just a lot of similarities, I would say, between kids growing up in foster care and kids in orphanages. Um, they're, they're all getting their basic needs met. <laughs> but what they're not getting is a family. And that's mm. ultimately what they all need. Right, right. Um, and love and, and touch and, and parents and, right. and and those kinds of things. Uh, you know, we we can survive on our basic needs, yeah. but, it, you know, to really thrive as human beings, mm. we need so much more than that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. All right. So talk to me a little bit more about Love Moves Us specifically. Uh, and I have a whole list of other questions that I'm, hopefully we'll have time to get to. But I'd love for people to know at least what the elevator pitch is. What, what is it that you guys do? And give me some of the heartbeat behind why you felt this like insatiable desire to launch it in the first place. Yeah, the really the heart for us behind it again we you know I talked about my wife and I loving kids and it's it's really we want to transform children's lives. Mm. That's that's the the basis for it. And we want to transform their lives through supporting the families that are caring for them. Yeah. We've got families who are on those front lines stepping up and caring for these children, inviting them into their home, whether it's through foster care or adoption. Hmm. And uh, what we hear over and over from families, from other leaders across the country, is these families need support. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, that equals time, right? Yeah. Um, it, it's not just as simple as donating something or an item or money. And so we basically run support groups. We don't call them support groups because nobody wants to go to a support group. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to go to a support group, yeah. and I started the organization. Interesting. So, uh, we call them family gatherings, hmm. and we did that very intentionally because we want the whole family to come together. There's a lot of, of organizations out there, a lot of ministries out there that are doing things that uh, for moms, yeah. and dads are getting left out of the picture. Wow. Interesting. So uh, we want spouses to be together and, hmm. and get the same kind of training, uh, you know, have the same understanding and be together with with on these these subjects with their uh, with each other for their children yeah. hmm, to yeah. benefit them. Yeah. And so we 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 run some once a month support groups in homes. We feed everybody dinner. We get volunteers come in, run a children's program. Awesome. And uh, we feed the volunteers dinner as well. And uh, we get you know, we, we provide the community and the encouragement and the support and uh, and specialized parenting skills for parenting yeah. children who come from hard places. And then, uh, and, and then we pray for everybody at the at the end of the night. That's awesome. What are some of the biggest needs? And I wonder how they're the same and different between people who adopt and people who are foster parents, and someone like me who's never done either. 
what are the needs that I probably would even think about that that kind of are, are mm. pretty consistent? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think um, one of the things that people don't realize with so many of these kids is that there can oftentimes be a developmental age gap. Oh, meaning uh, especially you know you look at a child who's grown up in foster care. A lot of times. Eight-year-old could have the street smarts of a twenty-one-year-old. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to outsmart you to death, and they're going <laughs> to manipulate you, and like that will, you know, pressure button and trigger you so quick. <laughs> um, but yet emotionally, they're maybe at like at age three, mm, and so you've got this eight-year-old in front of you who. And then physically, where are they at? Some of these kids have been malnourished, so they're much smaller than what they are, you know, right, age-wise or right. should be. Some kids. You know, it's always harder when kids are bigger, Hmm. you know, because then they're expected to be older uh, and act older. That makes sense. But um, but you have this huge span of, you know, a 21 year old street smarts, but, you know, a three year old emotionally and an eight year old and maybe some other cognitive. Hopefully they're 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 there cognitively with with everything and other uh, aspects of their development. But it makes it really tricky to Mm -hmm. parent Hmm. and um, and. And I think a lot of well-meaning people, you know, uh, will experience or see some of these kids maybe having emotional meltdowns. Right. And, oh, yeah, my kid has meltdowns, too. Hmm. Uh, this, a lot of times this is, goes far beyond that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times at home it can turn into outright rage, hmm. uh, destroying things, uh, throwing things, threatening um, violence. And uh, it, it can be really, really hard on the parents. And, and, and what people don't see is a lot of times these kids are acting one way. Uh, in public and another way at home. Gotcha. Mm. Um, and and so a lot of times it's they're they're angels, you know, at church. They're angels <laughs> right, at school, right? And, you know, because they're keeping it all together because they have to. Yeah. And then I get emotional talking about it, but <laughs> they these these kids come home and you know s- stuff flying everywhere because they're just letting loose it's like their safe place they know they're safe Hmm. and that's when they can let go finally and it's just you know all hell's breaking loose on these kids uh and on these on these families on these parents and nobody's seeing it yeah and so then you get these families are like don't believe you you know like well i've never seen this yeah they seem fine at church your kid is such a a great kid i would never believe that you know Mm. and so um these these families are just looking for community who you know who get understand. it, who yeah, understand it, who've been there. That's yeah. phenomenal. All right, so we'll mention it a couple of times. You're sticking with us for one more segment, but I want to make sure people get the website if they want to, if they feel like they could be a part of the community or could help serve the community. Where would people go yeah. to learn more about you guys? The, our website is lovemoves.us. Perfect. Lovemoves.us. And they can go there for volunteer opportunities as well as find out where the meetings are happening and all everything. Of that. Yep, Every, okay. everything in between. You can you can give online, volunteer there, sign up. Uh, you you want to register for one of our family gatherings as a foster adoptive family? You can find it all there. Awesome. So I have like a trillion more questions. <laughs> so thankfully you're sticking around with us yeah. for one more segment. Awesome. That's Jason from Love Moves Us. He's sticking around for one more segment. You're not going to want to miss it. That's coming up next here on the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, or if you like, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, plus if you podcast, if that's you, first and foremost, thank you. Secondly, uh, liking and reviewing and sharing and all that stuff actually magically helps us out, and it helps us make the show better, but as we often mention, Brian and I... We love the show in general, but we really love when we can have in-studio guests. And mm-hmm. Jason, cards on the table, 
is like an actual real life friend in real space and time, and also someone to that. Well, <laughs> well, it's out there now, so no redacting it. But I, I do have to say how much I admire you. And you, if you were listening, you heard in the last segment, it's this isn't just a job for you. It's not just like yeah. it's clearly like a present, visceral, emotive, which I find is yeah. so needed in this world, especially in, in this line of work. Mm-hmm. And if you missed that, go back and listen to the podcast. He's the founder of Love Moves Us. You can learn more at Love. Lovemoves.us, which is really coming alongside uh, adoptive and fostering families, which a number of friends of mine are now a part of your network or a part of your family. So that it's kind of doubly important to me because I I like and appreciate you a lot. But now you're reaching and caring for other people that I like and appreciate Mm. and care for. Thanks. But one of the things I keep hearing over and over and over again is how much trauma is a part of many of these kids' stories. Oh, man. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about trauma in particular and maybe some of how that affects the brain and development and and maybe information that people listening don't know much about sure oh man it impacts development in such tremendous ways it's it's ridiculous there's there's a lot of research out there and uh, unfortunately not enough of it is mainstream enough you know in hmm. understanding hmm. Um, and to the degree that uh, you know the average person, pastor, doctor, even therapist, Interesting. doesn't know a lot of the stuff that's out there because hmm. uh, they received their training um, longer ago. And, and the past 10 years has, has really come a long way on this. Um, it, yeah, they've shown that if there's any failure within the first three years of life, that it impacts a child in their development for a long time. Hmm. Um, and that's, what's you know brilliant about early intervention for our kids, because the sooner we can get on these things and, and hmm. give these kids help, the better, um, any kind of neglect, any amount of hmm. abuse, w- hmm. regardless of what kind other kinds of trauma that we tend to think are, are the ones that we tend to think of, you know, like, witnessing your your dad shoot your mom or something like something that you and i have never experienced right right. and and pray to god you know we never do some of these kids have experienced at a young age Hmm. that profoundly impacts them Hmm. and then there's also things that happen um early on even uh Mm pre-birth uh science has shown that uh you know if if a mom has uh struggles with severe anxiety while she's pregnant that that child will likely have Anxiety well, throughout their life. Wow! Mm. Uh, so um, a, a difficult pregnancy, a difficult birth, um, early hospitalization, mm. as well as the the abuse and neglect. All those things can really uh, play a huge role in in these kids' development yeah. and how they feel safe or really don't feel safe. Yeah. And you don't even necessarily see it or understand it unless you have this knowledge and can be looking for those right, things. Right, right. You know, that's and that's good. what drives their behavior. Right, Is that these, these kids are sitting here, when I, I don't feel safe. You know, I'm struggling. I'm, ang- I'm anxious about this situation. Right. And so that's what makes me act a little crazy, hmm. but I don't have the words to be able to tell you that. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so we as parents, is if we're just looking on the surface at the behavior, we can tend to be, sit down, be quiet, you know, sit, sit still. You yeah, know, you're, right. You're not sitting still here in Sunday school, and I'm trying to teach you about Jesus. Of course. <laughs> right, right, right. And meanwhile, they're running all over the yeah, place. Right. And, 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 and there's things that they need that hmm. we haven't seen. And so sometimes it's, it's just, uh, learning, helping them become more aware of their bodies and learning how to calm themselves down. Sometimes they That's need good. some physical heavy exertion work because uh-huh. you know, the, there's just some sensory stuff going on. Right. Um, and, and, it, and it just re- it really impacts 
um, the uh, the, the front of the brain, which mm. is where we have logic and reasoning, mm. and more of their thinking then is uh, in the in this bra- brainstem. Mm. And so that is where we have more of our uh, instinctual stuff, you know, that, for survival. Mm. And so when you're trying to reason with a child who hasn't developed that frontal lobe fully yet... Mm. You're just talking to a wall. Right, right, <laughs> you know? Like right. it's not going anywhere. They don't have the capacity or ability to reason and understand the logic and the consequences for their actions. Mm. And so you have to treat them, you know, uh, more like a like you would a toddler and be mm. on them on the time and help them do what's right. You mm. know, we're much more patient with little ones, right? Yeah, right. Because we're teaching them. That's right. You know, and it's like we oh, expect we them don't not expect to know. Them. Yeah. yeah, you know, I yeah. mean, you don't you don't scream at your kid that you're potty training for peeing <laughs> on the floor. You expect them to, right? Right. But when there's an eight or nine year old that's right. having the same type of struggles and not being able to get something, hmm. you know, we expect more of hmm. them, and yet developmentally they may be more like that toddler. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Curious, someone's out there and they are considering adopting. They're considering going into foster care and it's, you know, it's kind of a romantic idea for them right now. What are yeah. some pieces of advice or things, you tools you could give them to help kind of prep that mm. on the front end? What would you say to that Man, person? That's, that's a big question for mm. sure. But I, I'd say the first thing that comes to mind is you're not the savior. Mm. That's great. You know? Yeah. Um, I think too many people go into adoption and foster care thinking, you know, uh, that they're doing a great thing. And they are, mm-hmm. you know, they, they are. Uh, but it's not, uh, don't expect this child to be grateful, mm. you know. Um, which of us is grateful for having parents? It's <laughs> yeah. a great point. You yeah. know, I mean, as adults, maybe we yep. become more yep. grateful for the things that we have with our families and stuff. But like, like you expect to have a family, yeah. right? Right. That, like that's that's a basic human right. If you're born in this world, mm. you're born to a family. You should have a family. Mm. And so the fact that a family decides to adopt you or take you in mm. and, and foster care, like that's this child's right. Mm, and, yeah. and and don't expect them to be grateful or show gratitude for that. Yeah. Mm. And when they are difficult, man, you better be sticking with them. Yeah. Um, right. I, I think the the thing that breaks my heart the most is seeing. Uh, foster parents struggle with kids uh, who are dealing with massive amounts of trauma and difficulty throughout their lives, and it comes out in their behavior, you know? Hmm. Um, they're going to push, 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 push back as hard as they can to see if you're going to break. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and understandably, you know, sometimes parents, it's, it's too hard. Sometimes these kids have... Uh, you know, behaviors that are too difficult to manage and mm. they don't know what to do. And so we've got to find occasionally that happens, but I hate it. And the last thing I want to see is a family move a child right. uh, just because um, their expectations were, were too much for, for this kid. That's good, man. I want to get practical for a minute because you, you and I have actually had multiple conversations before about some of the dumb things people will say to adoptive families or adoptive mm. parents. <laughs> and every time you've shared them, I've thought, I never even really considered how that would sound or how you'd is there any coaching that you could give or some examples of if you're someone who wants to maybe come alongside and adopt a family in your church, your neighborhood community, some things to consider saying or not saying, doing or not doing. Like, how would you coach Mm -hmm. someone in that regard? Mm -hmm. Well, um, first, one of the first things I've tried to make a a big 
change in my language is talking about families who foster or adopt rather yeah. than foster or adoptive families. Oh, that's uh, good. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, that, that's the first thing. Uh, it's not calling them foster kids. These right. are kids in care. Right. These are kids in foster that's care. That's good. They're kids first. These are families first right. who are doing these things or these things have happened to them mm. or whatever. I think that's really important. Um, and, and to understand that these kids' stories are, are private and personal. Mm. You don't ask personal questions about other kids' stories. Right. Right? Um, you know, so entering into that lightly, sensitively, carefully with these parents, not asking about their uh, about the kids in front of them, to mm-hmm. you know, asking the parents right. about these kids in, in front of the kids, hmm. uh, it's, that's a big no-no right there. It turns a lot of families off. They get really, really upset. Yeah, that's understandable. Um, you know, and I think just simply helping people in the way that you would want to be helped. Mm-hmm. Put yourself in, in their shoes. Right. Put yourself in, in your own shoes. What would be meaningful for you? What is something that you have in, in you know, the wherewithal to, to be able to do? Yeah. You know, hey, I'm running to the grocery store and calling somebody and like, hey, can I pick you up anything? That's great. Right. I mean, that's, a, that's a really easy thing to do. Totally. You know, shovel somebody's driveway, rake their leaves. Right. You know, do some laundry, bring a meal is, you know, bring a meal or give a gift card. Those are two probably the the biggest things. And honestly, the number one that we hear from families all the time is uh, just babysitting. Mm. It's just taking care of the kids. Take the kids for a night. Give them a date night or something. I mean, I know families who have not had a date night in 10 years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know. That's super helpful, man. Well, that other voice you've been hearing is Jason Benson of uh, Love Moves Us. I cannot encourage you enough to learn more. Go to lovemoves.us. And uh, I'm so grateful, man, for you Thank and you. the work you're doing in the world. Oh, I think you. you're remarkable. And I hope people listening come alongside and help support the work that you're doing. I appreciate thank you it very so much. much, man. Appreciate it's being here. Class. We've been listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. Wherever it is, you get your podcast. A little a little tiny like, subscribe, and review. That actually helps us out a lot. And if you hit that share button, we're still a new show. So any share, any exposure, any... I think you can tell Alexa, play The Common Good Radio I Show. I think you can. I don't actually know because I... Don't have or technology. Or you can at least say play 11, a- AM eleven sixty. Yeah. Try that and let us know how that goes for you. <laughs> <laughs> if we could get a guinea pig out there, we'd appreciate it. <laughs> to report back to us. Anyway, we're thrilled to have on the phone Greg Wheatley, who is the director of music at New Covenant Church in Naperville. All around great guy. Greg, welcome to the show. Good, sir. Hey, guys. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks. Could, could you just do me a favor and introduce yourself to the audience in whatever fashion you see fit? Yeah, well, that's leaving things wide open. <laughs> Take as much time as you need. <laughs> yeah, I, well, you said all around nice guy, so we'll go with that. No. Uh, well, you got the first part. I'm the music director uh, at New Covenant Church in Naperville at the corner of Washington and 75th. Been there since, uh, well, four and a half years now. Hmm. Uh, I'm also uh, uh adjunct professor at Wheaton College, where I teach music theory, and I direct a community choir called the Glen Ellen Wheaton Corral, and uh, I'm married, and uh, I don't have any pets. So what we really want to talk to you about today is this Lessons and Carols. There's this event coming up that sounds really interesting and something people would really enjoy. So could you talk to us about this Lessons and Carols? 
Yeah, I'd love to. I, this is one of my favorite services um, of the year at New Covenant Church. So it's really got a long history. Um, mm. This goes way back before any of us, certainly before you guys and even before an old guy like me. Um, <laughs> goes all the way back into the late 1800s in England. And um, a lot of a lot of the listeners probably would have heard if you're, you know, if you're kind of traveling around on Christmas Eve or wrapping packages or whatever, and you've got the radio on, um, the live broadcast comes on about 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock here. Hmm. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon in uh, Cambridge, England, where it's broadcast from King's College. And every year, if you want, can you believe this, It's it's been on every year since uh, 19, let's see, uh, 1928. Wow. With wow. the exception of one year, 1930, it didn't air. Every other year, it's it's broadcast live from King's College. So it's got a really long history. Um, and the great thing about it is, the thing that's exciting about it is, it really it walks you through... The full name of the service is a festival of nine lessons and carols. Mm. And it's um, The lessons mean scriptural passages that walk you through from... Genesis 3, where you have the fall of man into sin, all the way through all of the prophecies regarding Christ's coming, through his actual coming, and uh, then it concludes with a reading from the first chapter of John, where you get, in the beginning was the word. So interspersed with all of that, then, are these great carols that the congregation gets to sing, and some choir pieces, and uh, it's just a great way to review the sweep of, um, of redemptive history. That's so cool. So, yeah. so what can people expect to experience when when they attend? Like, is it is it a participatory thing? Is it just simply like sit and and watch, or how, how does this actually play out? Yeah, we kind of ask people to just sit and be quiet and hmm. uh, don't don't make trouble. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. So you, you guys, <laughs> I wanted to laugh, guys, but uh, I wasn't sure. Yeah, like, no, no, you, right, right, right. You don't know me. You don't know me well enough to know when I'm kidding. <laughs> um, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is participatory, so um, we'll have a couple of things done by our choir, and uh, we have a wonderful soloist who's going to sing with us, um, but there's a lot of um, carol singing by the congregation, so, um, and familiar things, uh, Hark the Herald Angels, O Come All Ye Faithful. This is a chance for people to you know, really get in the, the spirit of Christmas, because they'll get to sing some great music. I'm curious uh, as a as a prof, as a conductor, as a director of music. So you're you've, you're steeped in all of this music. Uh, why do you think people are really drawn to, especially this time of year, these old carols? What is it for people that they just kind of love them? Yeah, what a great question. I I, I can only tell you what it is for me, mm-hmm. and you know maybe maybe other people will resonate with this. I was just talking to one of my classes the other day about um, some of the theology in "Hark the Herald Angels Sing." Um, so you know, if you look at if you look at the one of the stanzas, um, it says, "Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see." Now you guys are pastors, so I know that you're concerned about theology, and and there it is. You know, that's the incarnation. Um, you've got you've got God Himself coming, and He's taking on human form. And I think the I, I think not only the familiarity of the carols, but some of the lines like that, where we get the theology put in such beautiful poetry. Hmm. Um, it just kind of goes right to the heart. Mm-hmm. You know? So so this is happening this Sunday, I believe, at 3 o'clock. Where, where do people go to get more information if they're you know interested? Are there yeah. tickets? How do, people, how do people connect with you? 
no tickets. This is absolutely free. Awesome. Um, this is really uh, this is really a worship service. This is not you know a concert or a stand up in front of you. Um, so no, absolutely free. Um, the church is at the corner of Washington and Seventy Fifth in Naperville. It's a really big intersection, and once you get there, you, you won't miss the church. It's beautiful. Um, you could go to the church website, newcovenantnaperville.org, and I think we've got a couple things out on Facebook as well. So uh, love to have you there. That's Absolutely. Awesome. Well, kind of changing gears just a little bit, I'm curious about this Glen Ellen Wheaton Choral or Chorale that you conduct. Uh, is this? Do people try out for this? Is this just for people who like to sing? Tell me just a little bit about that. I'm yeah. kind of curious. Yeah, we've just, uh, just last weekend, we had our two Christmas concerts. It is an audition choir. Um, it's a choir of about 65 voices. And uh, we've been around since we're about to celebrate 35 years. We do a, a big Christmas concert every year and then a spring concert. So um, it is auditioned. Um, and so if, you know, if people think they're singers, then they come and I let them know if they're right or not. <laughs> so you're like Simon Cowell. Yes. I'm a little kinder than that. I think. <laughs> that's funny. Okay, so for this, uh, for this Lessons and Carols, is there a, a way that people can support it or come alongside? Are you guys in need of volunteers or help in, in any way? Uh, well, I think we're I think we're all set on that score right now. I think the best way people could volunteer is to come and and take it in with us. We'd love to have them. So, uh, I think we're just about all set to roll with it. That is outstanding. Well, that's happening this Sunday at 3 p.m. at New Covenant Church in Naperville. You can learn more at newcovenantnaperville.org, 3 p.m. Lessons and Carols. It sounds absolutely beautiful. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Good to talk. Likewise. We'd love to have you back on sometime. Thank you. Well, it's been a heck of a week. I hope you enjoyed it as much as, at least half as much as we did. You hope you'll join us every single day, Monday through Friday, 4 to 6 p.m. Is that right? That is correct. I'm not used to doing this part of the show. (laughs) (laughs) Or the podcast or whoever else you want to listen to us. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great weekend, everybody. For Brian Fromm, I mean Simpkins here on AM 1160. Hope for your life.